Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the executive pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySelfland.com. All right, so last week we started it in the Samson and uh, talked about the people not crying out. And today I'm going to get through all, we're going to finish off chapter 13 today. I'm going to repeat a couple of verses right at the beginning because there's some stuff I didn't get to touch on uh, last week that I want to touch on. And, uh, and so starting in verse 2 of chapter 13, says, there was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, so they were of the tribe of Dan. I'll show you a map later and you'll see where that was. Whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. And now this is really interesting. It's something we kind of take for granted now. We're kind of more modern nowadays. And it totally makes sense to us. Of course, he spoke to the woman. God speaks to women. And that's amazing, right? But you have to think again, this is coming in the context of a society that was very patriarchal. That means it was very male-dominated. And so the fact that, that the angel of the Lord appears and speaks to the wife instead of Manoah is really actually, uh, it, it's, it's amazing. It, w- it would have been shocking. It was uh, stunning. And it's awesome. It shows that God really has no favorites. And uh, as if to emphasize the point, we're going to go ahead a few verses, and I just love this, saying that God has no favorites, that he speaks to both men and women and the unexpected in our society. But just to drive home this point in verse 8, it says this, Then Manoah, that's the husband, prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. So it wasn't enough. You know, he heard it from his wife, but he's like, now I want to hear it from you directly. And uh, some husbands, I think, are still a little bit like that today. They don't respect their, their wives enough. And I love this. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. So he's going to answer his prayer. And the angel of the God came again to the woman. I just, I absolutely just love it. I absolutely love it. Manoah's like, okay, God, you spoke to my wife. Now I need to hear it directly from you. And God says, absolutely, I hear your request. And he sends the angel back to his wife as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Like, do you think that was an accident? And God's like, oh, shoot, I missed him again. Absolutely intentional. So the woman runs quickly to her husband, okay? The woman runs quickly to her husband and told her husband, behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And there's just a couple things. I just want to stop just briefly. And I want to stop here. And, and, and you guys all know here at Southland, we believe in women being able to hear God and being able to be leaders. We have a number of pastors and leaders here at this church. Amazing godly women. Who are women? And, uh, and of course, uh, I always encourage men. Uh, you know, when I talk to guys, I'm always encouraging men. You know, we need to step up and we need to be leaders in the home. And we need to be leaders all over in life. We've got to be leaders. But when we challenge men to step up and be leaders, it's not meaning that women can't lead. And sometimes I think a lot of, there's, there's a bit of a, a, even today, now today, there's still a lot of Christians and teaching that get this wrong. They push so hard. They, they see a vacuum of leadership among men, and, and it's true. A lot of men are not leading the way they should in their homes and in life in general. And, but some Christian teaching, to push them to lead more, it's like they, they have to push the ladies out, and it's a both and. Yes, men need to lead. Yes, men need to step up in the home. But this doesn't say that women can't. Women can hear God, and the fact that they can hear God means that they have something to contribute as well. 
And there's a bit of a, you know, there's a bit of a twisted teaching based on, you know, Paul calls uh, men the head in, uh, in the New Testament. I'm not going to get into all the theology today, and Pastor Ray is touching that a lot, but it's good sometimes as we run over these things in the stories, there it is in the Bible. But there's a bit of a twisted teaching based on men are the head. I've heard pastors get this wrong lots all over the place. I've, I heard a pastor one time, he taught, this is how he talked about it, and he was trying to do it all in love, and he was doing it based on the man as a head. He's like, uh, wife, you're allowed to have a say in decisions. Behind closed doors, you go and tell your husband, what, you know, give him all the input you want. But once you come out of those doors, he has to make the decision and you have to get behind it. And that is actually a wrong, that's a false understanding of what it means when Paul talks about the male being the head. And we see right here that the women can hear God's voice. And I need no go, I, we don't even need to leave the, lead the, or leave the book of Judges to see examples that the fact that a man is, is head does not mean that women aren't to lead. And if we look at the book of Judges, I'm just going to go to one other story just briefly here. We see the woman Deborah, the incredible story of Deborah. This also is in the book of Judges, who was an incredible leader, incredible leader. And I'm just going to read you quickly her story, Judges 4, 4 to 7. Now Deborah, prophetess, the wife of uh, Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. So she was the leader. She was one of the judges in the book of Judges. She was leading the nation of Israel. And she was also a prophetess, which means she spoke on behalf of God. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of uh, Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hands. So we see here Deborah was a military leader. She was a prophetess. She was a, a, a judge there in Israel. It's amazing. And if we jump ahead one chapter, we're going to see that her leadership was so incredible. The Bible, the Holy Spirit inspired this. The Bible tells us that her leadership had an immense impact on the nation. So she was leading the men. She was leading the women. She was leading the whole nation. And she was a she. She was a she. And, and, and here it is, right? Judges 5, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways. So there was lots of crime. Uh, uh, infrastructure was breaking apart. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, when war was in the gates, was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel. In other words, in Judges 5, we see that before Deborah came onto the scene, there was the infrastructure was breaking down. Nobody had the courage. There was no organized army. There were, the people were following other gods. God raised up Deborah, a woman. She's leading the nation. And all of that stuff got fixed. And so that, that's, that's incredible. That's amazing, okay? And yet still there's pers there persists a misunderstanding and a, and a very wooden teaching of Paul's use of the word head in the New Testament that in some Christian circles still today, it's like the woman just has to get behind the man and just accept whatever he does. And certainly, I mean, we've got to work together. And both, we need to both lead. But we can't default. And, and women, sometimes I think women sometimes even want that misteaching because it's almost like it takes the pressure off. I'm just waiting for my husband to lead. But it's a both and. We both need to lead. Can you imagine if Deborah would have just said, you know what? It's not up to me to change this place. God needs to raise up a man. They got to be the head. They got to do it. That's not enough to just make that excuse. God put, put his anointing on her. She stepped up and she led the thing. Now, of course, I know today some teachers that you, you tell them the story of Deborah, 
and where they, they do this misteaching on, on women just having to be absolutely submissive and not mutually submissive. And they'll talk about the Deborah thing and, and the excuse they'll use, and you'll read this. And, and even the audacity to say it, they say the only reason God raised up Deborah is because there was no men ready to step up at that time. And that is a completely made-up reason. It's completely made up. You won't find it anywhere in the book of Judges or anywhere else in the Bible. The Bible actually speaks of Deborah very well. There's nothing in here that says, well, God couldn't find a man. But there's also a second thing about that. If God could raise up Samson, like that guy had some issues. If he had wanted to raise up a guy in Deborah's day, he could have raised up anybody. He sovereignly raised up Deborah, not because he had to, because he wanted to. So it's a both and. And I think that's important for us to know. It's important for you as ladies to know that and to not completely have to abdicate. It's important for us as men to know that both of us need to step up. But anyway, let's keep going. I'm going to skip ahead. There was a bunch of other stuff I wanted to do in, in chapter 13, but the real meat that I'm going to spend some time on now is the last two verses. And verse 24 of chapter 13, so Manoah and his wife, uh, they go and then they have the baby. And then we find this in verse 24. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtol. Okay? And so I want to say something here, and this is really important. Um, Manoah and his wife followed all the instructions. The angel Lord came to them and gave them specific instructions how to parent this child. Now, first of all, as a parent, I would just love that. Like, wouldn't you? Like, if the, every time you're going to have a baby, the angel of the Lord comes to you, and here are the instructions. Duck, 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 duck. Just do them, okay? And so the angel of the Lord gave them specific instructions, and they did that, and it says the Spirit of the Lord blessed Samson. I want us to just say this right off the bat. Manoah and his wife parented well. Samson was parented well. The Spirit of the Lord stirred in him. The Spirit of the Lord blessed him. His parents followed all the instructions of the angel. And it's really important that we notice that right now because of what happens next in the story. And we all know what happens next is Samson gets messed up. Samson gets super messed up. And he goes and he does a bunch of things, and we're going to see next, in next week's message, he does things that cause his parents pain. And it actually talks about it in the Bible. His parents were deeply uh, bothered by the things he was doing. He, did, he, he became addicted to sex. He was a wild man, and he only repented right at the end of his life, right, right at the very end. But he lived a horrible, you know, several decades after he left the home, okay? A horrible bunch of years. And here's the thing you have to know about that. It wasn't his parents' fault. Someone's got... <laughs> and their kids are going, who? Was that mom? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, that messed up. No, you know what? As parents nowadays, and I've, this is probably true throughout all the ages, but I can't speak throughout all of history. I can just speak for our culture now. Tremendous amount of pressure that is put on us as parents, but that we really have no one to blame but ourselves, but that we put on ourselves, that we take all the credit when our kids do well. Isn't that true? But there's a, there's a, there's a double-edged sword to that one, and we take all the blame when they don't do good, right? Isn't that true? And for a lot of us, we go through life, and I know what this is like too. We have this little courtroom going on in our heads, right? So little Johnny, 
uh, is kind to his sister one day, and he gives all his money to the poor somehow, and, uh, and, you know, does wonderful things for people one day, and we just go, oh, we must be doing something right, and you just feel good. We're, we're doing a good job. And then the next day, he cheats on his test, and he bullies someone, and he throws a spaz fit when you try to get him to clean his room, and you go, oh, where did we go wrong, right? Where did we go wrong? And we take all the pressure for the good, and we take all the blame, and we judge other parents that way too. We look at those parents' kids. Oh, they don't listen that well, do they? Our kids listen so well. (laughs) We take all the credit, and certainly, certainly, parenting has a huge, huge impact, and certainly parenting is super important, and how we parent our kids will have a big impact on their lives. But in the end, God has a lot to do with it, and our kids' choices have a lot to do with that. Isn't that true? So Manoah and his wife, they, they did all the instructions the angel of the Lord gave them, and the Spirit of the Lord blessed him. He had experiences with God, and the Spirit of the Lord stirred in him, and he still was messed up afterwards. In the end, parenting is just one piece of a much bigger pie. It is not the whole pie. That is so important. Now, on the one hand, on the one hand, that is good news. So for those of you who have grown kids, that's good news. Oh, I'm not totally to blame for how messed up my kids are. On the other hand, it's scary for those of us who have kids because one of the reasons we want this pressure is because we want to control things. We have this belief, if I can just parent perfectly, I can turn out perfect kids. But you know what? That is just completely messed up and it will only lead to depression, anxiety, worry, and all kinds of problems because first of all, you can't be perfect. And second of all, even if you can be perfect, it's still not a guarantee that your kids will turn out perfect because parenting is just one piece of the pie. And so our goal as parents, uh, we have to actually shift. Some are deep in our hearts. And I know me just saying this won't even do it. This is something that we all have to work on. I have to work on this as well. Because it just, it's so ingrained in us. If I can just parent them well, if I can just do such a good job, a really, really good job, they're going to turn out good for sure. There just are no guarantees like that. And the thing is, we actually have to change our goals from turning out perfect kids to creating a loving family environment. That's what we have to do. You don't have control over how they're going to turn out. And your goal as a parent is not to turn out little robot goody two-shoes. Your goal as a parent is to create a family that is full of grace and love. And yes, there is consistent discipline in there. I am a huge believer, and the Bible backs me up. I'm a huge believer in in steady, consistent discipline for bad behavior. And that's certainly an important ingredient. But our most important goal as parents is to create an environment where kids know that they have second chances, where they're not shamed for making mistakes, where they can share their feelings even when those feelings are messy. They're allowed to sometimes not feel perfect the way we... You you shouldn't be feeling that. We need to create a grace-filled environment. And if we do that and pray for them, there certainly are promises. Even Samson's parents, Samson went astray for a long time, but he did repent at the end, and he's going to be in heaven someday. He's in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And we can trust God that if we plant those seeds of godliness, at some point they're going to bear fruit. But our goal is not to turn out perfect kids. It's to create an environment of love and grace in our homes. And so Manoah and his wife, they did a great job parenting. And in the end, Samson still did a bunch of crazy stuff. And if you're here today and you have kids who are away from the Lord or are not living the way you raised them, 
I just hope that the Holy Spirit lifts a weight of condemnation and guilt off your shoulders. You're in good company. You're in the company of the Manoas and the Billy Grahams who had Franklin Graham go crazy for a bunch of years. My own parents, Pastor Ray and Fran, two of, two, you know, two of my siblings over a decade far away from God. You're in good company. It's not all your fault and you can still pray for them and love them. So I think that's good news. And not many people pull that out of the Samson story, but I think the Holy Spirit wanted to say that. Now let's go to verse 25. And then this is where we get to have fun. The rest of this message, I want to talk about the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. So verse 25, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. Now what on earth does that mean? See, we, we just read these chapters, we read these verses. There's Samson, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. We don't even stop, we just, okay, the Spirit of the Lord was stirring him. If we would stop to think about it, most of us, what does that mean, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him? Does that mean he was just moved to pray? So he just, and he started, and maybe for some of you who are more charismatic, you're like, he, that means he was praying in tongues all the time, having long devos and reading through his Bible, okay? And that is most certainly not what Samson was doing when the Spirit of the Lord was stirring in him. And I want to show you what it means. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir in Samson. Before I do that, you first have to know a few things about the geography there. I'm going to throw up a, a map because it's going to help you understand. I love the Spirit of the Lord. And he doesn't just move. He moves, yes. When he moves, sometimes the way he moves is he moves us in prayer. And he moves us in praise and worship. And he moves us to read our Bibles. But that is such a small view of how the Spirit of the Lord moves in our hearts and how he stirs us. He stirs us in much bigger and broader ways as well. And so, a little bit of geography here. Now, you won't, some of you who are younger will be able to read a lot of that writing, and some of you who are older will not, okay? But the, the different colors there, this is the tribes of Israel, and then, of course, I've labeled the two important ones. You'll see where the Philistines were there, down on the coast, in the valley of Sorek, and then the tribe of Dan is, that was Samson, right, is a, is a Danite. He's from the tribe of Dan, and, uh, and he was born right in the north. So you can see now why God had Samson born where he was. If you want to cause trouble for the Philistines, uh, you don't have Samson get born on the other side of the Jordan River in Manasseh or Reuben, okay? So Samson was born right on the front lines of most of the interaction between the Israelites and the Philistines, and God wanted that. That was very purposeful because he wanted to cause trouble uh, for the Philistines. So if we go back to the passage, if we put that passage back up there, um, when it says that the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in Samson, it does not mean that Samson was singing lots of praise and worship or having intense prayer times. It means that the Spirit of the Lord was beginning to stir up some trouble. And if we go to the next uh, 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 passage, we're going to put the next verse there, Sarah. It says in chapter 14, verse 1. See, because here's the thing. One of the, one of the problems uh, in, in the Bible, the way we have our modern Bibles today, is that Judges 13, verse 25, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. That's the last verse in chapter 13. And so what a lot of us do is we're on a reading plan or something when we're reading our Bibles or we're reading a chapter a day or whatever. So we read to the end of Judges 13 and we get to the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. And then we close our Bibles and we go, oh, isn't that sweet? Right? Oh, that's so sweet. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. And again, we have this picture of Samson praying and having his devos and journaling. And what we don't realize is that in the original, there was no chapter break. Okay? Now, I'm not against chapter breaks. Some of you are saying, you know, you talk about this every once in a while. Are you saying we should tear out the chapter breaks? I'm not. Chapter breaks make things and verses make things easier to find. And I don't know how we would find anything in here if it wasn't for chapters and verses. Okay? So I love the chapters and verses, but we have to be aware of it 
Because the writer who's writing the book of Judges, he is not writing chapter 13. Now I'm done, and chapter 14, verse 1, is a totally different uh, uh, story or a totally different thought. This is just flowing. So when he says that the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in the last verse of chapter 13, everything that comes next is an explanation of that in chapter 14. Okay? He's just, he's just moving on. He's describing it. So we don't even have to ask ourselves, what does it mean that that the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in Samson. We don't have to ask ourselves that. If we just keep reading in chapter 14, we're going to see. And so the very next words that the writer of Judges wrote were, so the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in, is that Samson went down to Timnah. So this is the result of the Spirit of the Lord stirring in Samson, is he's going to go down to Timnah. Now, where was Timnah? Timnah was just over the border from the tribe of Dan into, into Philistine territory, Okay. And so the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. He goes down into Philistine territory. The Spirit of the Lord here is stirring up trouble. That's what he's stirring up. In this case, he's not stirring up praise and worship. He's not stirring up prayer. He's stirring up a fight. Because he wants to do some deliverance for his people Israel, and he wants to smack down some Philistines. But the Philistines have been oppressing the Israelites for 40 years, which means there's really not much fighting left. Nobody's fighting, so there's no excuse to kill Philistines. So God raises up Samson, and Samson's just minding his own business. He's just, he's just working the farm and doing whatever, and the Spirit of the Lord says, I can't kill any Philistines this way. So the Spirit of the Lord begins to stir in Samson, and something comes over Samson, and he's going to head into Philistine territory. And the rest of this story of all that's going to happen there, we're going to deal with next week. Some of it very sordid, and that's not the Spirit of the Lord part, that's the Samson part. But Samson's going to go down there, and there's going to be bad blood between him and the Philistines, and that's when Philistines start dying. But that's what the Spirit of the Lord is doing. And just to prove this to you, I'm going to take one piece of this story, and we'll come back again. We're going to come back to chapter 14 next week, but we're going to skip ahead just a couple of verses, and I'm going to prove this to you about the Spirit of the Lord. As Samson's going down to Timnah, we skip ahead a couple of verses, and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Okay? Now, I always like to stop and think about these things. Again, we know these stories are so familiar. We just kind of read over. Oh, yeah, a lion came at Samson roaring. Have you ever tr put yourself in his shoes for just a little bit there? Okay, that, that, there's a young lion, so maybe he's like 400 pounds. Okay, he's just, he's a little lion. Okay, and he comes at him roaring. Now, I've never, um, I've never had a lion come at me roaring. Okay, I've wa I watched a show with my kids that later I was afraid I'd given them nightmares, but it was all about lion attacks in Africa. It was really freaky, okay? Really horrible what they do to people, okay? I've met black bears, but black bears aren't cats, okay? I remember a couple of years ago, I was out on a prayer walk there in Tobermory by our cottage, and this bear was probably from about me to that wall there, and I guess I was downwind or upwind, I don't really know, but I was something, he didn't notice me. So he was just walking towards me on a, on a path, and I watched him, I thought, well, that's really neat, and I thought, if he doesn't notice me, he's going to bump into me. I probably don't want that. And so at a certain point, I just said, hey. And he just got up and, and bounded into the bush. That wasn't very scary, okay? But a lion, that's a different thing. I mean, these are cats. And if anybody, if you, if you ever, ever had a house cat, you know, these things are just cold-blooded murderers, okay? <laughs> they're just, they're sick. I mean, the things they do to small creatures, it's hideous. But uh, so a lion comes at him roaring, okay? That's, that's, that's not a good thing. And then let's see what happens next. Very next line. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed on him. And Samson began to pray and do some, spirit, you know, some, some praise and worship. And he was praying in tongues. No. The Spirit of the Lord 
rushed upon him. And what does it mean that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him? Next verse. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Now, first of all, I'd like to see someone tear apart a young goat. What is that all about? Who does that? <laughs> so, you know, someone asked me that this week. <laughs> I can just imagine a farmer trying to... <laughs> but that's how he tore the lion apart, I guess. Guys did that back then. I don't know. But uh, anyway, why, so why was he able to accomplish this amazing feat? Okay? Because the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. That's why. It was the Spirit of the Lord who did it. So the Spirit of the Lord stirred in him, and it wasn't time of praise and worship there, even though the Spirit of the Lord does do that. Now, I'm not making fun of that. Certainly the Spirit of the Lord moves us in worship, but I'm trying to broaden our horizons a bit. We think that that's what the Spirit of the Lord always does. The Spirit of the Lord does much more than just move us in worship and prayer. The Spirit of the Lord stirred in him, which is what sent him down to cause trouble with the Philistines in the first place. A lion comes towards him as he's heading down there, and the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him, and the Spirit of the Lord rushing on him is what enabled him to rip apart this lion uh, like someone would, would rip apart a goat, okay? So now, I want to rock your world with something now, okay? And here's what I just want to say to you, because I'm just going to totally rock your world, because all of our life we grew up seeing pictures of Samson, and always the guy is just ripped, okay? He's just completely ripped. He has massive arms, he has a six-pack, he's got just muscles coming out of his muscles, and these are all the pictures throughout church history of Samson are that he has muscles. Now, here's what I want to tell you now today. I don't think Samson had big muscles, heresy. <laughs> Why do we even come to this church? That's insane. It's not biblical. Nowhere in the Bible do we have a physical description of Samson. We don't have a, a, a physical description of Samson, okay? And this is actually really important to the story. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Samson was born bigger or stronger than all the other boys. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that Samson was able to rip things apart and kill lots of Philistines because he was so much bigger and stronger than everybody, it always tells us that the Spirit of the Lord would rush upon him, and that's what enabled him to do stuff, okay? I mean, let's just think about this rationally for a moment. This is actually really important to the point I'm going to make about the Spirit of the Lord, because the Bible gives all of the credit to the Spirit of the Lord, but we have this kind of built-in complex, and we, you see it in the pictures we draw of, of Samson, that in the end, we still put a lot of our faith in our human ability. And we think, for Samson to be able to rip a, a lion apart, he must have had really big muscles. But let me tell you something. Let's think rationally for just a moment. No amount of human muscle will ever allow you to rip a lion apart with your bare hands. And I'll just, some of you guys, I'm saving you a lot of time. You don't need to go work out that hard to rip apart a lion, because it doesn't matter how long you work out, you'll never be able to do it. No amount, of human, no amount of human muscle can do that. I mean, you take, I mean, there's a few guys here today, no doubt. You go to the gym all the time. You're 250 pounds of, of, of pure, you know, muscle and protein, shake, drinking, uh, you know, energy. And, and you, you, so put you in a cage with a lion and put me 170 pounds of distance running in a cage with a lion, and both of us are dead. <laughs> you, maybe you last one second longer. I don't know. Maybe you last less because the lion looks at me and goes, Okay? That's not, that's not a snack. Okay? But no amount of human muscle does that. Okay? You don't, you don't, he didn't rip apart the lion because he was so big. You don't do that on human muscle. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. That's how he was able to do everything. I want to prove this to you. If we jump ahead a couple of chapters, Judges 16, verse 17. This is the story with Delilah. I'm just showing you one piece of this. We'll come to this later in the series as well. 
And of course, we know she's going to cut his hair. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Okay? So Samson says, If you cut my hair, I will be as weak and ordinary as any other guy, which means he must have looked just like any other guy. He wasn't stronger than the other guys. If it was based on his muscles, she could have cut his hair and he still would have been stronger than everybody else. But he wasn't. The moment she cut his hair, he was like anybody else. That's the thing about Samson. He was like everybody else. But when the Spirit of the Lord came on him, he could do unbelievable things. And by the way, this makes a whole lot more sense of a whole bunch of things that happened in the Old Testament. Because there's a lot of stories. For example, I'm going to show you a couple of verses right away, but 2 Samuel 23, any of you who've read through your Bible before, you know there's a bunch of stories in there about King David's mighty men. You ever, you ever read that? King David's mighty men? They did a whole bunch of crazy things. I've often read that. For some reason, it doesn't click with us. We read the Samson story and go, oh, that's, that's nuts, the stuff he did. And then we read, or at least me, I would read the 2 Samuel 23 about David's mighty men, and I go, how is that possible? I mean, for example, I'm going to throw up a couple of verses right now. Okay. 2 Samuel 23, uh, uh, verse 8. And I'm not going to read you the whole chapter, but it's just story after story like this. These are the names of David's mighty men. Uh, Joshib uh, Bashhebeth, a, a Tachamanite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. So you read that and you go, like really 800 men? It sounds like a fairy tale. He killed 800 men? It sounds a lot like Samson though, doesn't it? And you go, how did David have 30 of these guys? I mean, this guy's part of the three who were part of the 30, but how did he have 30 guys who were that incredible, just like Hulk, you know, Superman, whatever. They're, they're superhuman. And, and I've often wondered, like, what the, how did, how's that even possible? And, but it's the same as with Samson. These are all supernatural stories. You don't have a guy who, who defeats 800 people with a spirit. You don't have that. It's not possible, okay? It, do, it doesn't happen. All right? And um, next to him was Eliezer, son of Dodai the Ahohite, as one of the three mighty men. Wow. I don't know why they called these people these things, but anyway, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at, at Pass Damon for the battle. And then the men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eliezer, but only to strip the dead. And I want to take you now to, to, to uh, Judges 15 because the way that these men did it, they didn't do it because they were such amazing fighters. It's impossible. They did it. These were supernatural acts just like when God parted the Red Sea, just like when Jesus calmed the storm. They didn't do it because they had big muscles. They didn't do it because they were such incredible fighters. They just had faith and the Spirit of the Lord anointed them and then he did incredible things like spread, you know, just as big as parting the Red Sea, just as big as Jesus calming a storm. He did miracles through these guys. It was the Spirit of the Lord. And we see this over and over again in the Samson story. If we go back to Judges 15, we see the, the, the famous jawbone story which is on, our, uh, on the, the PowerPoint for this series. But Judges 15, verse 14, when he came to Lehi, the, the Israelites, the Philistines were so mad at him that they told the Israelites, you better give us Samson or we're going we're gonna to not wipe you out. And so the Israelites tied Samson up and they bring him to the Philistines. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. See, every time in, the, in, in, in Samson, it's not Samson who's getting the glory here. It's the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes 
that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. And so similar there to the one we just saw with David in Second Samuel with uh, one of David's mighty men, but a thousand men with a jawbone. I mean, that's, again, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like if you made a movie about it, it wouldn't, believe, it wouldn't be believable. These guys are coming at him from every angle. They're pressing in, they're tackling, they're attacking him, they're throwing stuff at him, and with a jawbone, he wipes out a thousand of their soldiers. That's the spirit of the Lord. Samson was an average man because no amount of muscle helps you to do that. No amount of weightlifting, no amount of strength, no amount of skill will ever help you to do that. Samson was an average man with the Spirit of the Lord. With the Spirit of the Lord. And that's how we have to read this story. And the moment you realize that is the moment this story begins to come alive. Because as long as we read these stories as, you know, Samson was this incredibly strong man, like God just had him born, he was just, you know, particularly gifted, he could lift hundreds and hundreds of pounds naturally, and da, da, da. the moment you think he's superhuman, you think David's mighty men are superhuman, you think all the heroes of the Bible are superhuman, you just disconnect as you're reading your devos, it's like, wow, that's neat that those guys could do that. Well, that's neat that Samson could do that, but you don't enter into the story at all because they're not like you. But when you realize and you actually take it to heart that Samson, I think someday we're going to see him in heaven. It's going to be like, you were. Chris was right. You were just a regular guy. But you were a regular guy that when the Spirit of the Lord came on you, you could do supernatural things. When you understand that, suddenly you go, oh, wait a minute. This story suddenly comes really alive to me because I'm like him. I'm not, I don't have the same calling as him. So I won't necessarily, I won't do the, exactly the same feats, obviously, and the Philistines don't need to be, don't need to be conquered today. But I need, I need, and you need, and we need the Spirit of the Lord. If Samson needed the Spirit of the Lord for all of the feats that he accomplished, then you and I desperately need the Spirit of the Lord as well for the things that we need to accomplish. And so Samson had a calling on his life right from the beginning. He was a Nazarite, so he had a calling. He was born in a, in a day and age when, when God wanted to give the Israelites some temporary relief from the Philistine oppression. So that was his calling, and that's why the Spirit of the Lord stirred in him to do those things. But today, the Spirit of the Lord still wants to stir in us, but he wants to stir in us for his calling for each of our lives. Mother, teacher, business leader, whatever it is, the Spirit of the Lord does not just want to stir you to sing and pray. He does want to do that, yes, and praise God when he does. It's wonderful. I love that part. But if Samson needed the Spirit of the Lord to carry out his calling, and the Spirit of the Lord could do that in his life, you and I need the Spirit of the Lord to carry out our callings, and the Spirit of the Lord wants to empower us to do what he has called us to do. In fact, we have a huge advantage over Samson. And the advantage is that in Samson's day, Jesus had not died on the cross. He had not torn the veil in the, in the Holy of Holies. And the Holy Spirit was not living in people in the same way that he does now. And so Paul says this to us, right? And we've, we've talked about this verse uh, several times this past year. But Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Do you not know that you are God's temple, we are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you and in me. And so as we read the Samson story, this should be an encouragement to us, not an encouragement in sin, but certainly an encouragement that God could use a man who was so imperfect, that he could use a man who was so messed up, 
But when the Spirit of the Lord would rush on him, he was able to accomplish all that God had called him to accomplish. And the Spirit of the Lord will also empower us if we will ask him. Because he lives inside of us. And I just love that. I can't think of anything, you know, more important for us to hammer home again and again and again. And even this week as I was getting ready for this message, I was saying to the Lord again, Lord, we forget about this so often because the number one enemy of the Spirit of the Lord rushing on you and helping you is human reliance, is reliance on yourself. See, as long as you and I want to just go through our days and we just want to mother, parent, teach, lead, business, work, whatever it is that we do and we're called to do, as long as we just want to get up every day and think that we can do it in our own strength and think that we can just pull it off on our own. See, Samson, one benefit he did have is when a lion comes at you, you know you can't do it on your own. When a thousand Philistines come after you, you know you can't do it on your own. But a lot of us are tricked into thinking, we're deceived into thinking we can actually do it on our own. And so we don't get to see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives too often because we don't call out to him and we don't ask him to show us what he really wants to do through us. Rather than just surviving that there's another power at work that he lives inside of us and he wants to, he wants to move on us and stir in us and rush on us so we can also accomplish supernatural things for him within our calling. And so this self-reliance, I pray for myself and for us as a church, Lord, help us to throw off the yoke, the yoke of this self-reliance that just holds us down where we get up day in and day out and we think we can do it apart from your spirit. Bring us to a place of fellowship with the Holy Spirit where it's like, Lord, I actually need you to accomplish everything that you want me to accomplish. Lord, what do you want to accomplish through me? And then as we begin to cultivate a relationship like that, that the Spirit of the Lord can begin to do great things through us as well. So I want to give you a weekly challenge. I don't want to do any more of the story because there's some other big stuff I want to talk about next week. And I just thought, you know what? The Spirit of the Lord, we just, that, that's, that's the place to end. We just need to end on the Spirit of the Lord here today. And so I want to give you a weekly challenge. And the first part of the three things I want to challenge you to do this week is any of those of you who can, I would encourage you uh, to head to the prayer room. And I didn't warn them in advance, so I would love it if you just swamped the prayer room. Um, But we have a prayer room. Some of you don't know about it. Some of you do. Some of you go there all the time. But there's a prayer room right out those doors, right across the hallway. And we've got tons of volunteers in there. They pray for people after every service that we do here, every Sunday. And I would encourage any of you who just feel led or want to, to go in there today after this service or after the next service or or whatever, and just ask someone to pray over you and say, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to know, Samson lived, and some of those Old Testament heroes, they lived not by their own strength, they lived by the power of the Spirit. And I want to, I want to know what that is like. I want to live that too in my calling. And so I would encourage many of you to go out after this next song and that you would go out to the prayer room and that you would have a volunteer lay hand on you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The other thing I would encourage you to do is to do it with your families, those of you who have kids and stuff, but at supper time this week, is at supper time, when you're praying for the meal, to pray, Holy Spirit, would you come on us as a family? Would you stir in us as a family? Would you show us what that's like? Would you show us how to walk as a family like that? To pray every day at supper for the Holy Spirit in your families. I think that'd be amazing. What an amazing thing to lead your kids in. What an amazing thing to do with your families. And then lastly, in your devotions this week, to ask the Holy Spirit. Because there's so many practical things. To ask the Holy Spirit. Talk to him in your journal and just say, Holy Spirit, okay? Samson and these other Old Testament heroes, they walk by your power. They walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. How does that look in my life? Rather than just leaving this story at a, you know, a 3,000 year you know, gap and we kind of just read it and it's entertaining. But Lord, if they live like that with the Holy Spirit then and you've died for us, it should be better for us now. 
What does that look like for me? And just ask him and see what he shows you. Write it down and begin to live that way and see what God's going to do for you. Let me pray for you and then we're going to sing. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the story of Samson. I thank you that Samson was a normal guy like us. He wasn't superhuman. He was a regular guy, but it was your spirit that did those things through him. Father, I pray that somehow that truth would go deep into my life. I want to live that way too. I want my family to live that way. I want this church to live that way as well. That we would live by the Spirit of the Lord, that you would stir in us, that you would stir in us in our callings, that you would rush upon us, that you would enable us to accomplish everything that you have for us here in our families and as individuals and as a church with church renewal and all the calling you've put on us, Lord, that this would be a church that is set apart, that people would say, how on earth do they accomplish that? It must be the Spirit of the Lord. Thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for what you're going to show us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.